Keep something in mind. Three words. Compassion, arrogance, and humility. Then one of the Pharisees asked. He asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began, began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. The word of God. Amen. Um, I believe that as, as when you do get the opportunity to give a study, it's a, it's a, it's a great, great honor. It's a great responsibility um, and a tremendous privilege to, to come and do the Lord's work. So whenever I give a study, I like to give a little bit of, of a backdrop, backdrop to the situation we're, we're studying. Um, this is in chapter 7, um, but prior to this incident, um, we have to know that chapter 7 is all about compassion, the Lord's compassion on, on people, on people who are willing to receive him, who are looking for him or seeking for him. Um, as we go through this chapter, um, we find out that... Um, that um, Jesus, to start off the chapter, he heals the servant of a, a centurion, a centurion whose faith was unbelievable. 
he also resurrects the only son of a widow, a young man who, was, who had died, whose mother was left alone without a husband, without family, and Christ showed his compassion by raising him again. Then we see how uh, John the Baptist, uh, wanting to have some sort of confirmation in his heart while he was in, in jail, he sends his disciples to see Jesus and, and ask them, you know, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? John wants to know. He's in prison. He wants to know that his, his, his ministry has been complete. And he says, yeah, tell him. Tell him. I'm healing people. I'm restoring sight. I'm resurrecting the dead. So he confirms that. He shows compassion even to John in prison. Then you come to a passage that I think is relevant to read before we get into the study. It's in, uh, in, in John. I mean, sorry, in Luke. It's verses um, 31 to 35. And it says, And the Lord, and the Lord said, To what then shall I like, liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man, meaning Jesus himself, has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But verse 35 is key. But wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, Christ, wisdom, is justified by those who seek him. And we get into the study. It's interesting. Keep those three words in mind. Compassion, humility, and arrogance as we go through this. Verse 36, it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Um, how many of you guys know what a Pharisee is? Basically, it's a religious elitist. They thought they were above and beyond everyone else's knowledge. They were self, self-prescribed uh, translators of the, of the word. They not only did that, but they tried to enforce it, putting burdens on those who didn't have as much knowledge as they did without themselves carrying out and living the, the word that they were preaching. So one of these guys, we come to know, find out later on in the passage, his name is Simon. He asked Simon to come over, have a meal with him. What could his motive have been? I don't know. What could his motive have been? Was he going to scrutinize him? Was he going to um, greet him? Was he going to worship him? But the question is, what's our motive? We can ask Jesus to come over. But the question is, do we ask him to come in? Do we ask him to come into our hearts? Do we ask him to take residence within our lives and guide us and lead us 
And above all things, forgive us. That's the question we should be asking each other, asking ourselves. What are our motives for wanting Jesus? Just to have a new religion, a new hip thing? Is it to belong to a, a new church or to walk with Christ? This is where Henry gets all bent out of shape. <laughs> so one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house. He obliged him. He said, okay, I'll come over. He'll do the same thing for us. And he sat down to eat. And then something just tremendous, something that was going to go beyond the religious establishment and just cut to the chase. And, and it's, it's, it's a revealing factor what this woman does. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Another key. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew. What did she know? She knew Jesus was there. She knew she had heard what Jesus was capable of. She knew Jesus' heart. She knew what Jesus was going to do for her. That stirred in her a heart of gratitude, of love. Can you guys imagine what was going through her mind? She had to basically overcome fear, overcome embarrassment, overcome criticism, overcome probably many years of her life just to go and see Christ. Um, the house was full of Pharisees, lawyers, people advanced and trained and practiced in what was religious law, religious correctness, political correctness. Could you imagine what she what 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 kind of a, a response she drew from the people who were sitting there with Christ? If we were to study this this uh, passage in the Greek, we would find out that when she's called a sinner, it was a very infamous sin. She was an infamous woman known throughout Capernaum. She was a prostitute a harlot, a lady of the night, a floozy, right? And what she had to conquer to come there was a lot of tremendous things, a lot of obstacles which sometimes keep us from coming to the Lord. I've heard it from my own kids. Dad, I don't... I can't go to church. I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> I just say, join the crowd. You know, we're all hypocrites. That's why we're here. They think they need to be in a position of 
merit to come to church. You don't come to church because you deserve it. My goodness. If that were the case, we wouldn't have churches, right? We come because we need. We need of God. We need of Christ. So I encourage you guys, if you come to church thinking you don't deserve it, that's fine. We all think the same way. But know that Jesus is full of grace. Jesus has his arms open to you. He is all compassion. He is all mercy. He will touch your life beyond religion. Religion is what the Pharisees were practicing. Faith and love and a new life in Christ is what God offers us. Amen? So she comes. And Jesus is sitting at the table having a meal with the Pharisees. Um, in case we don't, we're not too accustomed or, or too familiar with um, the Mideastern culture in those days, when that says that they reclined at, the, at a table, they literally reclined, reclined. They sat at a low table, laid on the ground with their feet pointing away from the table while they leaned on their left elbow and ate with their right hand, dipping out of the same bowl. So, you know, when I first read this as a new Christian, I said, how, how did he, she do that? Well, his feet are in the back, and he's, he's facing forward, right? She comes. She comes with an alabaster jar of perfume, a flask. Um, researching into that, what, what, what value that had, basically an alabaster flask was a, a somewhat translucent jar of, of expensive perfume. Sometimes it was spikenard, which would fill a room like this with the fragrance in, in, in no seconds flat. Or it was another type of perfume. But it was always worth, it was always worth, worth at least, at least the common person's full year wages. Full year wages. Could you imagine working? As a nurse, working as, as a brick mason, working as a fireman, all year, all year to make enough money to buy one bottle of perfume. Well, let me tell you something. What she worked at was much harder. Yes, it was a sin. But could you imagine the wear on her body, the wear on her heart? But she didn't esteem that worth of anything. To her, it was a little price to pay to be able to see this man and to anoint him with, with her perfume. So she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head as she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. She had to be in, in a prostrate posture to be at his feet, right? Brokenhearted, brokenness, but at the same time joy, knowing 
that this man knew her and was and did forgive her. Her tears rained down on his feet with her own tears. Is there anything more intimate in life than the dispersing of your own tears? We don't cry for just anything. When we cry, it's over something that grieves us or brings us joy. I think at this moment, her tears were bittersweet. Her sins brought her to brokenness. But her joy brought her to tears. She washed this man's feet with her tears. And then she dried them, not with a velvet towel, not with silk, not with any man-made materials, but with her crowning glory. If we read God's word, we find out that a woman's hair, her long hair, is her crowning glory. And in those days, she didn't let it down for just anything. It was looked upon as something kind of brash, kind of uh, astounding for a woman to let her hair down in public. But she did to dry off his feet, to soak her tears. My goodness, when we come to the Lord, this is the ultimate picture of worship. When, when, when my brothers and sisters come up here and, and lead us, in worship, that's exactly what they're doing. They're leading us in worship. They're not performing for us. God bless them. They are so talented. But they are here to lead us for that fragrant aroma to cut, raise, rise up before the Lord and please him. And we're all privileged to have that. And she is worshiping him with a broken heart. With humility. Amen? She's, she's a total picture of what worship should be. Think about it. Next time you lift up your voice, next time you, you sit there and you say, oh, I'm too shy to sing. <laughs> Lord, Lord wasn't too shy to die on a cross for you. He shed his blood for you. Amazing, amazing, the gift that we have in Christ Jesus. And she is so totally aware of this. Her attitude shows it. Her, her, her brokenness, her humility, her willingness to be prostrate before her Lord and King. We need that in our lives, in our daily lives, not just here. Because in Romans 12.1 it says that's our reasonable service. What's that reasonable service? Our daily worship, our entire lives. I could just imagine the Pharisees as they looked on. They were flabbergasted. That's an old-fashioned word, flabbergasted. But they were blown out of their minds to see this woman, to have the gumption and the wherewithal to come and even, even to come into this house and do this. Everybody, that's my sister who just did that. <laughs> I love her, though. She's funny. Um, but the Lord is amazing, guys. The Lord is amazing. 
I, 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 don't, I don't know what, what, I, what I would have thought had I been a religious zealot to see this woman come in and do what she just did. Kissed his feet. Kissed his feet. Aren't kisses reserved for baby's little cheeks? For our loved ones? For our spouses? For a romantic interest? But she's kissing somebody's feet, guys. Is that the heart we should have? I think we should. I know we should. That's the heart we should have. (laughs) Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but that's the typical attitude of those who are religious. Do you guys know that there's a difference between having a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our God, and being religious? Being religious is crossing all our P's and Q's. Being religious is... is practicing the Ten Commandments and saying we've done it. Being religious is saying, I'm a pretty good guy. Being religious is coming to church on Sunday and then forgetting who I represent Monday through Saturday. That's being religious. That's that's the hang-up these men had. They put heavy burdens on people, prescribing the exact laws to the T, but never really practicing themselves. He has a critical heart. He has, that word I I mentioned, an arrogant heart. Thinking, thinking that he was above it all. That he was a spectator from the sidelines. No, in the world of sin, it's something we all participate in. And it's something we should all, all repent of. Could you imagine the nerve of this man? Without seeing who this woman was becoming, she was only, he was only seeing who she was, that sinner, that prostitute, that harlot. Did he not know God? Because even in the Old Testament, God always said, if you turn from your sin and turn back to me, I will restore you. It's always been about grace. It's always been about forgiveness. The Pharisees knew it, but they didn't. Because to them, the law was something to recite and something to attribute to the rest. He had the nerve to keep calling her a sinner even though she saw, even though he saw the repented heart. And he had the nerve to say, this man, if he were a prophet, would know that this woman who's touching him is a sinner. 
What's he saying? He's saying this man isn't a prophet. Wait a minute, Mr. Pharisee. You, you, were, you were through all this all. You went through this all. You, you saw him heal the centurion servant. You saw him resurrect a dead son. You see the effect he has on people breaking their hearts and bring them to repentance. And you say he's not even a prophet? His, his, his mind was askew. It was kind of twisted. It was to the wrong direction. His was in the direction of what he was all about and what his religion was all about, but he wasn't about the truth. The truth was staring him in the face. Jesus stares us in the face, guys. He looks at us. He accompanies us. He sends the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to our hearts. And we turn our faces. And we turn our arrogance towards him. We've seen humility. We've seen the arrogance of a man who was religious. If he were a prophet, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. Ah, but he didn't know something. He's dealing with God. God in the flesh. Verse 40 says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Jesus knew what he was thinking. He knows what you're thinking. He knows that you're looking up here and saying, man, who's that funny looking Mexican guy? (laughs) The Lord is so good. He'll use anybody. I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Verse 41, it says, this is what Jesus says. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. So he tells Simon, tell me therefore which of them will love him more. Which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Easy logic, right? But Jesus is trying to get him to think beyond that, but he doesn't. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then while looking at Simon, he turns to the opposite direction and looks at the woman. And said to Simon, do you see this woman speaking to him? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, 
but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So this whole incident of her coming and washing his feet is uh, probably still going on. She's probably still groveling at his feet while, she, while he's talking to, to Simon. And he says, Simon, I got something to tell you. You got, you got a moment? Simon says, yeah, yeah, go ahead, say what you need to say. He says, well, check this out, listen to this, see if this brings some sort of, of logic to your mind. He said, there was two guys that owed a creditor, one with 500 denarii, the other one was 50 denarii. That might be 50 bucks, or if I, I can't tell you what it was. It was a lot of money. But one owed 10 more, ten more times than the other, other one did. 10 times more than the other one did. So he says they both didn't have money to pay. Okay. They both didn't have money to pay. But the creditor being a good person... Jesus is referring to himself. He decides to forgive them both freely. No payment plan, no finance charges, nothing. He just says, there's no fee. Don't worry about it. So there's two people here with the same opportunity. Simon the Pharisee and the harlot. They both have the same opportunity. They both owe. In anyone's eyes, you would say, wow, the harlot owes so much more. She is so much worse than the sinner. But that's the point. That's the point. Sin is sin. And the payment for sin is death. But the gift in Christ Jesus is life everlasting. Right? He's not getting them to, to look at this mathematically. Jesus is trying to get them to understand. It's not how many sins you've committed. It's the willingness to acknowledge that you are a sinner before God. How many of us have acknowledged that we are a sinner before God? Um, I mean, growing up, I had that obtuse, uh, that weird... I think weird now, um, judgment about sin. I used to think, dude, I don't steal. I don't kill. I don't hate. Um, I don't smoke. Um... I respect my parents, but the guy down the street, Eddie, I won't tell you guys who Eddie is, <laughs> he's horrible. He, he steals, he sells drugs, 
you guys get the picture, right? We all have that. We all have that um, impression of what sin is. But truth be known, we're all, we're all short of his glory. Isn't that what Romans 3.23 says? We have all sinned and we all fall short of his glory. All of us. Whether it be Billy Graham, whether it be the Pope, whether it be Pastor Manny, and all of us, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all need to repent. We all need to come before Jesus' feet, brokenhearted, humbled of heart. But Simon wasn't even willing to see that. He wasn't acknowledging in his heart that he was a sinner also. I don't know. I I think, I dare to say that most of us, had we seen a scene like that, an incident like that, we would have been broken. We would have said, wow. And we would have probably joined her. I pray that would be our attitudes. But truth be known, there are too many of us now in the world who are about ourselves. In our own arrogance, we think we've got it. We've got this thing licked. I know exactly how to do it. I'm politically correct, right? I'm going to vote for the right candidate. I don't know which one that might be nowadays, but... I'm going to vote for the right candidate. I'm, I'm in the right party. It's not about that. It's about recognizing before a true and living God that without him, we are nothing. We are nothing. He says, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since she came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. He's saying, you didn't give me the courtesy due a common Jewish citizen. Because these were common Jewish practices. To supply someone with a basin or a bowl for washing their feet when they came in the street came in from the street. But he wasn't even willing to do that. He didn't give him a kiss of greeting. Right? He didn't make him feel welcome at all. So I go back to the original question. What was his attitude? What was his motivation? What was his motivation? Why did he want Christ there? Apparently just to scrutinize him to be critical of him, and to see that he didn't fit within his mold. Does Christ fit within your mold? (laughs) He doesn't need to. He made you. He has your mold. All right? She lavished him with love. She lavished him with a broken heart, with, with tears that came from the most deep crevices of her heart and her soul. Therefore, Jesus says, 
I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, don't get it wrong, as many people might do as they read that. Um, she didn't cry to receive forgiveness. She didn't do all these things to receive forgiveness. She did it from a grateful heart, knowing that she was going to receive forgiveness. She did it from a position of faith, knowing that she would receive grace. She believed who this was. This was God in the flesh. She believed. Right? It's by grace alone, through faith alone. In who? In Christ alone. It wasn't what she could do. She realized that she had ruined her whole life. But she knew this man was full of grace. Brokenhearted, she came. Therefore, I say to her, to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For this reason, she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So, what was what was Simon's reaction to all this? He didn't even deem it necessary to say, I'm sorry I didn't give you a bowl of water. I'm sorry I didn't wash your feet. Never mind deeming it necessary to ask for forgiveness. But that's what religion does. It's about, it's about performance. It's about putting ourselves on a scale and comparing ourselves to other people. That's what legalism is. That's what the law does. That's what religion does. It says, well, I'm not that bad compared to one of you. Who should I compare myself to, if that be the case? To Christ Jesus. But this Pharisee was not understanding that. It wasn't the amount of sins he had committed. It was the fact that he was a sinner. Right? We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's our natural state of being. I always, that always brings to mind what Jesus said to his, his disciples. He, he, he's always giving them life lessons. He would say, you guys have heard that adultery, committing adultery is a sin? Have you guys heard that? It's a sin. But you know what Jesus said? Not only is that a sin, but even looking at a woman with that in your mind, you've already committed adultery. So none of us are clean. He said, you've heard murder is a sin? I tell you that even if you look at a man with hatred in your heart, you've already killed him in your heart. So where does that leave religious people with no excuse? Because they're about performance. They might look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're rotting tombs. 
just as much as you and I are. But to those who come brokenhearted, humble, willing to worship him, he grants forgiveness. He grants forgiveness. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins? It's a test, guy. Who, who, who could forgive sins? God only. God only. See, if, if we study the book of Luke, Luke presents um, Jesus really as the perfect man to the Greeks. The Greeks were all about philosophy and, and all sorts of mind games and, and being the best man you could be. How do you say philanthropic? Whatever. You know what I'm saying. So when, when he was presenting in the book of Luke, Jesus as the perfect man, as the loving man, as the compassionate man, he also goes to the point where he says, he is God. Because only God can forgive sins. Look it up in chapter 2 of Mark, verse 7. Look it up in, uh, believe it or not, I have, I have notes. It's in Matthew, chapters 9, verses 2 through 8. The, the Pharisees had the same hang-up. Who is this man that forgives sins? They knew what he was claiming to be because they knew only God could forgive sins. And we need to realize that in our own hearts. We come before Jesus. We come before God himself. So I, I need you guys to apply something to your lives. Look at this. Just in, in closing, look at this young woman's attitude. Brokenness, humility, desiring forgiveness. Look at the Pharisee. Arrogant, critical, and condemning. Where are we? Where do we stand? Amen?